that she believes she can fly. And, and it's, and it's kind of elusive and it's not always right. Um, and, and, uh, she, she can't quite figure it out, but she's, she's done it a bunch of times, she says, and she's like flown over the mountains and she seems to be quite earnest. Welcome back. Welcome back to No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I'm Jacob Mann Christensen. And I am Jackson Nikolai. It's good to be back with you all here this week as we are jumping into conversation about another one of theater's best scripts. Yeah, we've taken a a slight turn in this season away from the beginning, (laughs) which was two musicals. Other than like musical month way back when in season one i don't think we've ever done two musicals right in a row it was a little strange a little strange it's true it's true and so thus we've only made a slight turn (laughs) yes Because we're still, uh, we're not doing a musical today, but it is a play that focuses around music and something that's in musicals a lot, um, uh, dance specifically, because today we are talking about Dance Nation by Claire Barron. Dance Nation, it, it might be one of those plays, depending on how plugged in you are to, uh, to to sort of the broader theater community that you've heard the name floating around. It's a play that's got a spectacular sort of packing of monologues that are are beginning to be used I would even say very frequently as yeah. monologues for auditions for programs for competition festivals and that kind of stuff so it, it's a it's a play that gained some prominence based on some awards it won uh and and Claire Barron herself is a playwright who is sort of gaining that kind of prominence too so you may have heard the name dance nation floating out and about and if you have welcome to our conversation about it uh, uh, hopefully you've had a chance to read it, as we you know sort of always hope with these plays. But we will do our best to bring you up to speed if you haven't, so you can still have a, a fruitful time engaging with our conversation about Dance Nation. Yeah, yeah, no, we'll we'll catch you up a little bit, and and also as always, we like this is a play about us reading scripts. It's not necessarily a play about us, you know, putting on scripts. Uh, or definitely me, this, not that. <laughs> yeah, this is not a podcast about those things. So uh, we like to like plug reading them, and this this script is ten bucks on Amazon. It's a quick read. I think I did my first reading of it quite quickly in under an hour. Um, so it's 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 a great script and a and a great experience, which I'm excited to talk about. Just the experience of reading this play. Um, uh, once we get into the conversation itself. But before we do, I wanted to take just a second and say thank you to all of our patrons over at patreon.com slash podcast. Thank you all so much for helping out the show in the way you do. We would not be able to do this show without you. The show is completely funded by our patrons. Um, and... Uh, yeah, if you are looking for a way to get into the show a little bit more, if you've been a longtime listener or you're just jumping on for the first time uh, and, and kind of liking what you're hearing, whether you like the themed months, whether you like the special guests, or just, you know, us talking on and on about plays and the conversation that we get to have with all of you online, Patreon is a great way to help out the show. We we love getting to do it. We love getting to have these conversations. Um, it's not a free endeavor. There are various costs associated with running a podcast, and the patrons at patreon.com slash podcast make that happen. You will find a number of different tiers over there, the lowest one being just $1, $12 over the course of a year, and uh, various other tiers uh, where you get access to patron-only posts or producer uh, credit. We'll we'll thank you in in an episode uh, coming up. So uh, so if you're looking for a way to help out the show, it's a great way to do it. We will see you over on patreon.com slash noscriptpodcast. And now, back to the script. Here we go. Hey, okay, so Claire Barron is a new playwright to the podcast, so as we do, we will give just sort of a brief introduction to her before we talk about the context for the play itself. So Claire Barron is a playwright very closely associated with Heidi Schreck. Uh, Heidi Schreck wrote What the Constitution Means to Me, which we talked about, I think it was last season we talked about What the Constitution Means to Me. And, And those two plays, have an interesting history together, which I will get to in just a few, probably a few minutes from now. So teaser for that. Uh, Claire Barron grew up in the same town as Heidi Schreck and her mother. Weirdly, she was in a, uh, a like a Shakespeare 
troupe for teenagers that was run by Heidi Streck's mother. Uh, and that was where she sort of started performing. Claire Barron was doing, she was in a ballet troupe at the time and, and as well, which of course informs Dance Nation. Jackson will describe that in a little more detail. And and there was, so, so she ends up in this Shakespeare company. She ends up sort of getting into theater. She goes to the Tisch Summer Program, which is a, a great kind of summer training program when she was in high school. Uh, she goes on and, and goes to Yale uh, for her, her undergraduate schooling. And 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 there she there's some playwriting that she begins to do, but she would describe as as she does in interviews that it was really only like when she was in a playwriting class and had to write a play that she that she wrote plays. At this time, she's not really thinking of herself as a playwright. She actually goes on to become an actor, is what she's thinking. Um, and she makes a sort of a small career for herself as an actor. She describes it as enough to keep her going, where she feels like there's a future, but not quite enough to fill all the time or the, the income. Um, then eventually there's some stuff that happens in her life. She kind of backs out of acting for a little while or, or, or continues to try while she's dealing with some family stuff. She goes to a playwriting program run by Aunt, Annie Baker, the legendary, the amazing, the fantastic Annie Baker, who is, uh, by all accounts, as good a playwriting teacher as there is, uh, while also being about as good a playwright as there is. Uh, and, and at this program by Annie Baker, Claire Barron writes, she calls it her first adult play, a play called A Boy Put This Girl in a Cage with a Dog and the Dog Killed the Girl. This play uh, gets her into a program called The Young Blood, which is run by the Ensemble Studio Theater. It's a writer's group, basically, for young playwrights. And as part of this group, she's sort of expected to write a play. Uh, several plays, in fact, on a kind of a yearly basis because they're producing readings of them. And this impetus to, hey, we need your play, starts to get her writing plays. And she describes how, like, in the couple of, in the few weeks before the play is due, she'll sort of frantically write a play. And out of this, she starts to produce material and work. Um, her first sort of real big boom onto the scene is a play called You Got Older, which uh, won an Obie Award for playwriting, for example. It was produced at Seppenwolf in 2018. Um, as part of this, and then a collection of her other work that starts to, to come on out, she gets things like the Winning Award for Drama, the Paula Vogel Playwriting Award, the Page, uh, uh, page 73 Fellowship. She becomes a member of New Dramatists. And then she... Uh, she starts working on Dance Nation. Now, the timeline of this gets a little fuzzy because she started working on Dance Nation, my understanding is like back in 2013, which uh, with just uh, sort of the opening scene and then one of the monologues, and there are several kind of long monologues that define what the play is throughout. So she she had that material, and eventually she, she crafts all of that into this play as she's starting to think about success and ambition and desire and things like that. Dance Nation gets a world's premiere in 2018 at the Playwrights Horizon. There's lots of great, you know, sort of backstage interviews and trailers and such for that production. It looks amazing. Check that out online. It gets a 2018 production at the Almeida Theater in London, 2019 production at a great theater in Philadelphia called the Wilma Theater. Uh, and then uh, it got it in tw starting in 2019 and running until like early February 2020, Dance Nation was at Steppenwolf. So literally, it closed like right before the pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> and this, so this belongs to that troupe of plays that we've been sort of ruminating about in a long-term way that had was getting life, got to a place like Steppenwolf just before the pandemic started. And then the pandemic happened and, and is still happening. Um. In February of 2022, a company called, a company I don't know, it's called Earthstone Theater Company, did a Zoom version of the play, which is available uh, for you to check out. It's it's a little, I'm not sure how well this play lends itself to Zoom. I did not watch the production, so this is not a judgment of their production. Just uh, ruminating on the, the play is so... 
uh, physical and raw and it's about a dance troupe. So I, I, it'd be interesting to see, uh, you know, how that translated over to a Zoom version. So uh, across this long life of the play, it has uh, been very highly lauded and it's becoming very, very well known, which is, again, why we started all this by saying you may have heard the title of this play floating around, but may not know much about it yet. So it won the 2015 Relentless Award, a 2017 Susan Smith Blackburn Prize, and of course, it was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize for Drama in 2019, where uh, what the Constitution means to me finally reappears in this long story, because (laughs) that was the other finalist, what the Constitution means to me and Dance Nation. So these two playwrights from like the same community she was in a shakespeare troupe from her mom and now they both have plays that are finalists for the pulitzer prize for drama in the year that of course the the fairview ends up winning which is you know its own kind of incredible groundbreaking theatrical experience that's a I, boy that's a strong year for pulitzers yeah fairview <laughs> and what the constitution means to me and this play dance nation were all the finalists and uh fairview ends up winning so that's a little bit about the life of dance nation uh it is uh it is currently and and my uh estimation my uh boy i can't think of the word now my prediction there it is is uh is that it will uh really blossom into something that a lot of folks are doing um in the next couple of years yeah, it has a lot of really strong, strong elements in it that I think lends well to that prediction. I'm excited to get to talk about it. But first, I'm going to just synopsize real quick um, the story of this. I have a personal goal going into the season to keep synopses under 10 minutes. Um, so we'll see wow. if I... <laughs> <laughs> We'll see if I can pull that off. Um, but this play uh, takes place um, roughly in the present. Um, the you, you know, twenty teens is when the play was written, and so there's like maybe one reference to the actual date. Um, uh, but with very little work, you can switch that date. I don't think the date itself has much bearing on the plot of the play. And it focuses around this troupe of uh, dancers. They are all in their teens, somewhere between the ages of 11 and 15, um, and uh, their dance teacher, Pat. I'm just going to real quick read you the characters real quick, um, because there's it's a pretty, it's a robust ensemble of people, um, and we'll spend time with more of them than others. But uh, the head of the dance studio is the dance teacher, Pat, who is uh, 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 um, uh, described in the character description as a man, I think. Um, uh, in, in parentheses, there's Amina. Which I, think, who, I think is a reflection on the casting, right? Yes. It's like, mm-hmm. I suppose there's a world where it could be played by a woman, but typically this character would be played by. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then there's Amina, who is the star dancer. There is Zuzu, uh, who is described as always second best. There's Connie, a talented dancer who thinks that she should play the role of Gandhi. There's Luke, the only male dancer on the competition team. There's Maeve, the oldest and least talented dancer on the team. There's Sophia, who knows what's up. That's that's it for her character, character description, which is great. Um, there's Brittany, uh, who is a future president of a post-apocalyptic USA. And, <laughs> <laughs> and Vanessa, who could have been a phenomenon, is her description. And I'll get to her in just a moment. She has a very short role on stage. And then there's uh, Zuzu and Luke's mom, played by the sta- same actor who means well, grown-up Wendy. And then a whole army of tiny dancers is also in the cast list. <laughs> and uh, depending on how you want to, to do the show, it's an interesting prompt. This this show focuses on about two weeks of this um, dance troupe's life together. The opening scene of the play is a uh, uh, kind of the end of a performance where uh, Vanessa, um, who is a, a star dancer, um, crumples on stage having broken her femur on a jump. The, the stage directions actually say her femur is visible. Um, as on, on, <laughs> yeah, on stage. So uh, she is crumpled onto the floor. She is leaving the dance troupe. She never shows back up again. And that creates a little bit, I'm guessing, some uh, some uh, mix up in the in the general order of this group. Um, while Amina is kind of listed as the uh, kind of star dancer who often gets the roles um, with the, the absence of Vanessa kind of creates a little bit of chaos in the group and, and wondering around who's going to get the roles. 
Um, the next scene we pick up and dance teacher Pat is uh, talking about the national finals are coming up in two weeks and they're not ready for them. And so he's going to put together this new dance um, that's going to center around the life of Gandhi. It's a Bollywood style dance. Um, and uh, he's, he's, he's going to be casting that group of, of, uh, of dancers for that. Yeah. And so Jackson and I have sort of discovered in, in the course of this, that there are different, and this, this makes sense in a play that was workshopped for so long and, and has different, that different publishing versions have different versions of the script. Jackson says Bollywood and mine says acro lyrical rather than a Bollywood style dance. So I, you know, whatever version you end up seeing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the, uh, the uh, casting call continues. There's tryouts for it. And a lot of the um, uh, kind of back and forth of this play or the uh, maybe some of the tension of this play or the, the core question is a relationship between Amina and Zuzu, who are best friends. Um, Amina, as I said, is the star dancer. And Zuzu is uh, regularly described as a beautiful dancer, a great dancer, very good at what she does, um, though not at the same caliber as Amina. Um, and in this instance, uh, this this uh, dance is cast um, with uh, Connie playing the role of Gandhi, uh, who they think is going to be the star of the show. But the dance teacher reveals at casting that there's another uh, role to play, the spirit of Gandhi, who actually ends up getting a, a significantly larger role in the dance than Gandhi. And Zuzu is cast in that role. First time that Zuzu has ever kind of uh, beaten out uh, Amina for a role. And uh, then we follow the lives of these girls for two weeks as they practice this uh, this dance number. Um, we we kind of weave through a, a lot of Zuzu stepping into this uh, role as the star dancer for the first time. We see a different side of uh, dance teacher Pat, a pretty you know a pretty prototypical brutal dance teacher. Like if you have in your mind like Black Swan or or some sort of uh, whatever dance show is in your mind where the teacher is really rough on the students, that starts to come out a little bit in Dance Teacher Pat. Um, especially towards Zuzu, who's not used to this sort of rigor in her dancing. Um, and she has to kind of deal with, with some of that. Along the way, though, we get uh, some pretty... Um, uh, imaginative theater aspects. Uh, there's, there's lots of uh, uh, direct um, sort of... Um, deliberately performative and and evoking uh, aspects about the girls. They uh, do these dance numbers that are clearly not the actual Gandhi-inspired dance, but are, in fact, dances that represent the time of life that they're going through. They're all 11 to 15, so they're all kind of figuring out who they are as people, what their sexuality is, how they interact with each other, um, and, and, and so these dances start to take on uh, some of that struggle and some of that dis discovery. Um, there's also, as Jacob mentioned before, a number of great monologues. Brittany has an amazing monologue <laughs> that just like uh, explores the space of what it's like if she were to let her full power come forth into the world. Um, and, and, and that power is both, uh, uh, both, uh, uh, a, uh, intelligent power, a beautiful power, um, uh, like physical beauty, and also just this, the sort of like dominate the world sort of energy, um, that, that she has. Um, and, and so, uh, we get, we get a number of these little scenes as we go through this two weeks with, with, um, with the dance troupe. Eventually we arrive at the uh, performance itself and they uh, perform the, or they go to perform the dance. There's a lot of chaos leading up to it. Um, some kind of shuffling that happens. Zuzu does her very best to perform uh, this this uh, big number, um, but falls on stage um, at kind of a crucial moment. Uh, though she, she dances beautifully to start with, she falls on stage and Amina in kind of a gut reaction jumps in and takes over the role um, for her and finishes the dance in the star role while uh, Zuzu steps back. Um... We then uh, kind of see the fallout of, of that happening. We see Amina kind of grappling with, she won a bunch of awards as a result of stepping into that role. Um, she reflects on her kind of consistent life of winning awards um, and uh, ends up offending some of her group a little bit at how she views them as like, there's a line where she says something like, uh, you all lose all the time and so it's easy for you to lose. Um, and I, me winning all the time makes it much scarier for me to lose. And so there's some separation between her and the group around that. Zuzu is also, so uh, uh, Luke, uh, the, the one uh, uh, male dancer in the group, is in love with Zuzu. And so Zuzu is kind of considering leaving the number or the, the troop as a result of failing in that number. And uh, she is warned by the dance teacher, Pat, that if she does that, not only will you be out 
in general, like you can't come back to this group, but also like if you stop trying to learn to dance at this stage, your body won't do the things that it needs to do as it grows in, a, in order for you to dance in the future. So big stakes for Zuzu as she's making this choice. Um, and she kind of describes um, her her uh, preferred world to Luke in a short scene where they kind of go off and away from the dance uh, studio for a bit. And you get to know some of her longings for for future, for, uh, for, um, for love, and for uh, kind of acting comes out as something that she longs to do. Um, but uh, ultimately, Zuzu and Amina end up parting ways at the end of the script. She is off on this kind of hill with Luke talking about her ideal future. And Amina uh, has gone into the dance studio and is kind of dancing uh, through uh, a, a, a piece somewhat manically um, as her as the teacher kind of pushes her on. Eventually, the rest of the troupe that is there uh, kind of watches her. And in again, a very... Um, magical theater moment uh, ends up kind of chanting her on uh, as she uh, dances this number uh, with, with, um, with uh, I'll, I'll just real quick read all the descriptors um, that are there because she dances, uh, she's dancing through this number. And in contrast to many of the other moments of the play, um, she is athletic, vicious, stunning. She absolutely dominates um, is, is the, the descriptors for her dance as around her, this chant builds and builds and builds. And we'll talk about the way that the script projects or portrays this building. Um, but, but until there's a cacophony of sound around her of this chant about the dance, about being perfect. Um, and, uh, and, and that's kind of the end of the play. So, so it's this, it's this, uh, kind of ride of the lives of these, uh, these, these girls as they, as they find out a lot about themselves and a lot about what they're able to do within this dance troupe. And we could probably spend all of the next 40 minutes or whatever, just on this feature of the play because of how, how crucially important it is to this play. And we're starting to see, uh, I, I would call it a significant trend in plays uh, where, where the casting choices that are made about who plays the characters becomes as important to the storytelling as anything else is. I mean, you can think about some of the great examples, two off the top of the head, obviously Hamilton and Men on Boats, right? And, and there are many other examples besides where the casting is just as important as anything. And this play is in that vein. This play is, other than the dance teacher and the moms, and a lot of the girls have mother characters for various scenes, the, the, the play is, you know, virtually comprised of these 13-year-old, these prepubescent girls that are in this dance together. However, this is just reading from the notes on casting. They should be played by adult actors for the most part and should range in age from 12 to 75. There is no need for any of the actors to resemble teenagers. In fact, please resist this impulse. And then there's also a note about making sure that the, the group is as diverse as possible in, in all kinds and ways. Uh, but I, I think for me, the crucial thing there is that th these are 13-year-olds played by adults and who look like adults, right? I mean, it is, it's very standard to have like a 20-year-old play a 13-year-old, both for men and women, and you just sort of age them down. But in this case, the fact that these are adult women who are reliving this this 13-year-old experience is really crucial to, to what's going on. Claire, this is an interview quote from Claire Barron. She says that it really grounds the play in the sense that this is really a play about women. It's not a play about little girls. And we're embracing and celebrating our actual actresses wherever they're at in their lives as adults. Yeah, no, that's 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 such a uh, a unique and awesome part about this play is is the the sort of uh, another quote uh, by Baron is is the kind of archaeology that is going on in this play because there are adults playing this roles the these roles uh, the audience is invited on the journey along I think with the with the actors to do some uh, kind of digging into their past a little bit to find a new, a different time in their life and examine it, um, uh, with, with, with the, with the, uh, visual of, of 
of uh, actors who are further along in age. It also allows the play to kind of push the envelope a little bit and be a play that definitely deals with sexuality and and deals with the 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 kind of pubescent moment that these girls are going through, but with adult actors on the stage. Um, so so it, it, it kind of uh, enables a different examining of, of that time. And, and the way that the... Um the way that the the dance ends up happening as a result of that with these with these kind of older actors in the role um, is is a fascinating way to do a dance play, right? Because another crucial element here is that the actors are not necessarily dancers. In fact, I'm not going to pull my script back out, but it's I think she says it's even perhaps preferable that they aren't. So this is not this play, although it contains an exorbitant amount of dance, is not um, the, the the dance that is being done, I think we imagine it in our brains as highly effective, highly, trained highly skilled dance for the age uh but it's that is not what is actually being done by the actors yeah yeah uh, to to the point that like kind of specifically it's interesting to to kind of note i've seen a, a couple of different scenes of of productions of this and and mave who is described in the script as the one who doesn't uh who doesn't dance well all, all that well in comparison to others um is is typically kind of cast in central roles so that you're seeing her not dancing well but kind of an older actor doing so so it kind of uh prevent or presents a different uh, way to examine them um and 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 uh and the the uh, evaluation and this sort of intense competition that happens within dance groups um uh and and the 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 way that they kind of end up playing off of each other and and taking advantage of each other or not or trying to care for each other it's it's just a whole blend of it in there so this is how uh Claire Barron sort of articulates in her notes how this world where actors who are older, quite a bit older than the characters and not dancers inhabiting this world sort of should should be should how it should land what it what is what is the general sort of uh, ethos of the production? She says, think of it as a ghost play. The actors' older bodies are haunting these 13-year-old characters, and these 13-year-old characters are haunted by the specters of what they will become. And then I'm now I'm going to summarize. She talks about how sometimes we should sort of be washed in the world that these truly are 13-year-olds and we're seeing the world through their eyes. And sometimes the fact that they are not 13-year-olds should come very much to the forefront. There are some specific textual moments where that happens. There are some very um, uh, specific monologues which are clearly from the perspective of the older characters looking back at their lives. And then there are, I imagine, some moments that you discover as a cast and as a production team. And in different interviews, she calls it uh, a kind of the play as a kind of archaeology, right? Sort of unearthing and then going into these this past, this this bones and fossils from when we were that age. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that, that I, I love that quote from that from that interview, and this is probably a good moment to do our typical kind of acknowledging where we're coming from moment. This play is is very much about a specific time in in young women's lives, um, and we're a couple of white guys talking about this script. Um, and Believe it or not, <laughs> I was never a thirteen year old girl. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> so so definitely read the script again yeah. from from the beginning. Read the script; it's a great script. There's some things that we just won't address because of where we're from there's plenty like there's plenty of interviews with Claire Baron that that does do address a lot of those themes and the, the play itself does a great job of it so with that said um the sort of archaeology that that is happening in this play is kind of going back and looking at that that kind of crucial moment where there's a lot of stuff going on right you're 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 coming of age um there's there's a lot of insecurities in that moment but then there's also a lot of strength in that moment too and and that I feel like like the Britney monologue is a great example of that of, of and, both uh, of those in, things in, held together. In my version of the script, she's called Ashley. So the, the name of the character changed along the way, it sounds like. Um, and and so there's, mon yes, the power that is uh, unlocked and lived out by these this particular set of girls in this dance troupe, I think is very much one of the things that Claire Barron is investigating. Like, what 
what is the sort of mystery and power of of girls at this time in this big moment of shift in their lives and boy there's a great i watch a lot of interviews of claire baron talking about this play and there's a great one where she talks about how um and again this is not something from my experience i'm just i'm just sort of uh rehashing how she describes it that that there there is a there is a moment um or or across the the growing up and and then then the adult life uh, this is Claire Barron's experience. There is, right, there's this, you be quiet. You don't have power, right? The, 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 the patriarchy, the, the disrespect, the, 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 the microaggressions that are experienced. And so Claire Barron talks about going back and unlocking the real power of that time in, in their lives and, and putting that on stage and allowing these older actors and just older than 13, not, not that they're all elderly or anything, but these older actors to live life through the power that they had at that moment that is going to be in this, you know, unfortunate aspects of society that we have, uh, uh, chained up in some ways, put down, asked to dismiss. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the kind of, one of the core questions there's there's a number of core themes in this play uh but one of the core questions is what to do with power and how to how to a when it's so hard to get it how to how to get it at all but b how when you get it to use it well um and and in a way that is not hurtful towards others in or or is or is it necessary that i think that's part of the question is it necessary to be um a hurtful or or uh at least like uh dominant in a field uh, at the expense of others or is it possible to hold hold power and and not do that and and be be uh, uplifting to the others around you. I think that's I think that's the kind of the the tension between Amina and Zuzu. And and that the experience and the changing body and and the the sort of raging growing up that all teenagers do in teenage women, you know, in in young girls is is defined, I think, by society as taboo and uncomfortable. Like here, here's a here's an example. It, it, like, think about a soap opera. Like, you know, I, I don't want to call anyone out specifically, but uh, a lot of the sort of sitcoms that are out right now, not not soap operas, sitcoms. How many of them have jokes about how much teenage boys masturbate? I mean. Uh, that that joke is, is throughout sitcoms, right? I mean, from the 90s to now, the jokes about how much teenage boys masturbate is throughout. And this play calls attention to the fact that teenage girls might masturbate too. And there's a sense that, that society says, that is so taboo and uncomfortable. I don't want to even think about that. And yet, sitcoms that are as popular as anything out there Age boys masturbate all the time. They got raging heart, you know? So I do think that some of what this play does is call attention not just to the power of growing up and changing and, and becoming, you know, a different version of yourself that is happening in the adolescent age, but also the fact that for young girls, that process is so taboo. Yeah, yeah, that it can't actually, it can't even be talked about. But even, but in this play, it's interesting to kind of note how they get to, at least within the within the context of this play, they are each other's community. Um, as as much as as much as there is some competition in this play, they all show up for each other really, really well <laughs> on occasion. There's a couple moments where they like they they they, they don't do that, well, and it's it, very that's hurtful. On, that's in the notes too, right? I, I actually think it's a really lovely note because. Um, well, let me say what the note is first, and then I'll think about it. The the note is like all the characters are kind and earnest and trying their best to be in good relationship with each other, and that's an important note, I think, because even with the title of this play, you you hearken to uh, all of the reality TV shows, and and Claire Barron will describe how she was heavily influenced by them about adolescent girl dance competitions and the high drama and the meanness and the backstabbing. It all floods in, but that is not the play Claire Barron wrote. These characters are genuinely interested in each other's success. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. To the point that, like, specifically in the stage directions, when when a character gets a role, there's like there's the typical like, oh yeah, everyone gathers around them and they mean it. Um, is in the stage directions. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. Like yes. they they actually are congratulating each other. They're you know we're we're trained uh, again through kind of popular imagery of this this time and getting roles and stuff to to think of that moment as like, oh yeah, you got it. Great, great. So glad that you got it. And I didn't get it. Um, and there's there's like a little bit of that, but it's not in those moments when they're congratulating each other those moments are genuine they're there for each other and trying their best even the moment when Amina takes over for Zuzu in in the dance um when when Zuzu falls and uh, and Amina jumps in she talks afterwards about I would never have done that but my body just did it like it just took over I don't know what happened she feels bad about what happened she goes she goes and talks to Zuzu about it afterwards um but there is that that element of like I wish I wish I hadn't done that um, because they care about each other so much. And there, some of the play, too, that is so... Uh, some of the scenes that I find really effective, although I, the whole play is great in that way, but uh, to be specific, there are some scenes where adult characters... Uh, so that's basically dance teacher Pat and the different mother characters. Um, they kind of layer on, I would say, an adult sensibility about competition and backstabbing and you're better than everybody else and you should know it that the the dance member the dancers in the play don't really exhibit to each other dance teacher pat at one point is forcing the star dancer to describe that she's better than everyone else and she's very uncomfortable with that she she want she says i want zuzu to do the solo i don't even want to do it she should do it she's good i think she's good and dancing at your pat over and over is pinholes her into saying she's the best dancer, therefore she should get it. There's a scene with Zuzu's mom where she tries to get Zuzu to sort of understand that maybe the, the star dancer Amy doesn't dance with heart and she has heart in a way that she doesn't. Uh, uh, Luke's mom tries to get him and say, well, are you really liking this anymore? And he's earnestly seems to and she doesn't seem quite to believe him in the way that he wants to so there's also a discrepancy between like an adult worldview of comp of success coming at the cost of other people that the dancers at their age or at least claire baron's depiction of their age don't hold yeah and 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 with especially with those elements there's the um the tension of society i think represented at least partially by the parents and the and the teacher trying to apply labels and identities to these children um and and their resistance to it often in the scenes that you just described there's you know there's the attempt by uh multiple people to to uh have amina take on the label of star dancer perhaps partially because uh of 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 her of her excellence in it but also uh but but you see her resist that she doesn't want to do that at the expense of Zuzu, though by the end of the play, she is she is she is uh, consumed at least partially. Acknowledges how she is being sucked in to that tractor beam of 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 labeling that society is trying to do to her. And in her final monologue, as she's doing this incredible, uh, static, cathartic, athletic, fierce dance at the end, is that it is a, basically a description of as she gets older and more fully commits to this, like. I will succeed. I will win that she's alone. The the sort of growing loneliness and the sloughing off of friends. You mentioned in your synopsis a scene which I think is quite brilliant in in its layers where she is describing Amina is describing to I think it's Sophia and Ashley although I, there there are a couple of them maybe Maeve is there. Uh she, she's describing is the scene you described how um because Amina is the star dancer and has so much talent, it, it the teacher and the pressure are necessarily so much harder on her than the other girls. And the girls say that she's being mean, right? They sort of read, well, you're, you're bragging about your talent or, oh, woe is you that you have this much talent and there's pressure on you. But I, I mean, I, I really think there's a sense of Amina being quite earnest about about she's I think she's trying to express the loneliness and pressure 
that she is experiencing because she's quote unquote got all this talent and you know has has all of this potential and it's read in a way that is not intended by her and I, and I wonder if that moment is a real because it's very near the end of the play is a, a very real or even the very real turning point for the character where it's like uh, this road if I'm going to go down it I'm going to go down it alone yeah yeah no it, I, I that 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 scene like <laughs> like there's so much longing in that scene um, because because so often this in this play people bring stuff to the group and there's like this this kind of welcome welcoming acceptance to it um, or, or at least in a, a willingness to kind of lean in and talk about it Um but in that scene, it feels like a moment where it's it's one of those defining identity defining moments that happen in high school or in or in early school times where like you try something and it comes out a little differently than you thought it was going to be and it sets up your choices going forward. So so her her kind of being vulnerable in that way. I agree. I don't read that as her doing anything other than trying to explain mm-hmm. why why and she stepped in. Equally, and, it's I mean it's like I totally get why <laughs> the other yeah. dancers react the way they do absolutely it's a hard thing for both i think both sides realize like in in this we don't have anything in common mm-hmm. it, you you kind of like see a little microcosm of how, how how clicks form right in that moment you have people from two different two different uh uh experiences um where one is going through something quite hard for them um but that thing that goes hard for them is in direct conflict with this other group <laughs> And so slowly, as you try to find resonance with other people who are in that like mind, uh, you clicks form and and groups and mind thinks starts to form. So it's an interesting. It's it's so interesting. It's a it's a uh, zooming in on this moment in a in a student's life is an interesting beat to get to see because all of those identity forming moments are happening and it, and it's and it's displayed really well in the script. Well, and and we I think as the audience we get a privilege that the characters don't get, which is we get to see all the characters' private lives in a way that they don't for each other, right? If this were a a, a piece of prose, we would say it's like third-person omniscient or something right, like that, right? right yeah. We sort of get to see everything, including the pri- how dance teacher Pat acts when he's alone with the star solo person in a way that he treats Zuzu. I mean, if that is uh, how Amina is has to dance all the time, when he, he does the same thing to Amina later on, right? If that's her experience, then you can totally see why she says, look, no, you don't get it. I'm under a kind of pressure that you aren't. And that that's a true statement. And that if you're the other girls and you haven't seen that, you might say, wow, that's right. how you're going to put that you, because we're not as good as you. We're yeah. not under the same pressures. I mean, you can totally see from the audience uh, vantage point each side. And there's an empathy for both sides and for the time of change that they're in. Um and and sort of for the trajectory really that you can see and and again that all plays awesomely just on its own and then you remember that these are all adult actors playing these characters you know like we get we it's it, it if it was just that if it was just you know uh you know people who are age appropriate to the characters playing the role it would be an awesome script um and and it would be in 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 the same category of like last season we talked about that poor girl and how he killed her or the wolves or or any number of these plays that really dig into this moment but the like uh, another beat of a transformational experience is these are all adult actors for the most part playing these characters going through this moment. Well, so that's a good jumping off point for describing or, or discussing like the other things that are going on in this play, because this is by no means like a psychological <laughs> realism play right, about 13 right. year old dancers. I mean, this play includes uh, uh, the uh, one point uh, Ashley is she's listed in my script uh, grows to an enormous size and becomes something of a pagan God is the description. Uh-huh, uh, yep. The girls grow fangs at one point. Zuzu bites off her own arm. Uh, At one point, Maeve describes, and I am led to believe that this is actually happening to her, how she uh, accidentally starts flying when she's alone in a room sometimes. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. 
these that... <laughs> super real, uh, 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 extra realism, beyond realism, because it's not quite. I mean, I'm I'm inclined to say magical realism, and in some ways it is that, but it's not what you think of in terms of like the kinds of symbolic magical realism that that are in like uh, Maria Irene Fornes or or something like that. Right, 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 right. No, it's 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 tied into um the 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 childlike moment of these of these characters. At least for me, that's that was that was my experience of it. They um uh the the scene the scene with Maeve talking about flying um is a great example of it where she honestly like tells Zuzu that she believes she can fly and and it's and it's kind of elusive and it's not always right um and and uh she she can't quite figure it out but she's she's done it a bunch of times she says and she's like flown over the mountains and she seems to be quite earnest and then 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 there's this there's this kind of realization that you have watching it um of like oh yeah I think I remember like I remembered thinking that I could fly a long time ago. Why have I forgotten that? And again, it's that that part of like archaeology of getting to see these these characters um, exploring this imagination, this sort of uh, child magic stage of their lives, where you know dreams. She she even says that like maybe it was a dream, but I don't think it was. Dreams kind of play this this this. Uh, beautiful intermixing role with reality um, that I think is represented by, by things like fangs or just the amount. There's some pretty gruesome stuff on stage sometimes too. Uh, like the biting off of the arm, chewing on what she bit off of her arm is, is specifically mentioned. So yeah, it's, it's, it's got a lot of that sort of um, uh, brutal theater sort of uh, aspect to it. Yeah. Fairly uh, sexually explicit in a lot of places, quite a bit of blood and, and, and such like that, that occurs on stage. And, and, and I think a lot of it is a theatricalizing of the, I, I don't know, uh, of the, the, the sense of primal uh, humanness that is, in these these people of this age and i think that that part of the storytelling is that we see how that is going to get removed excised by society or uh removed by their families or just by the process of growing up this sort of inner primal humanity that is a, that sh- that Claire Barron is expressing through non-humanity through fangs and biting off your own arm and growing to enormous sizes all of this non-humanity is the way that she talks about the deep core humanity that's going to get pounded away into until who we are as adults and that way it's a kind of uh it's it's a kind of grieving and we the adults get to see this play and say when i was 13 like i also felt like i had fangs and i could like i could fly and i could punch a a hole through a wall and it's like where where did i lose that kind of belief in myself Mm, yeah yeah absolutely you kind of get to see slowly the the building blocks of how you lose that (laughs) um and 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 yeah the the sort of like uh, anything is possible sort of mentality back when you know all all's eight I don't know roughly eight of these dancers believed that they would be dancers someday um, you get to see especially in Zuzu's story you get to see her grappling with uh, the roadblocks to that and the statement that if you quit now not only not only will I probably not take you back in like a in like a teacherly way um, the the t- teacher dance teacher Pat says that but like you will not. Like this, this small choice of you not wanting to do this has ramifications <laughs> that your body will not be able to handle dancing going forward. Um, so, so it's it's big, you know, big stuff is crashing into their lives and crashing into this this sense of of sort of uh, integrally connected cosmic power that they have um, is being is being uh, slowly chipped away at by the realities of the world around them. Yeah, well, and and so in that way, and this is not something I have seen uh, Claire Barron describe, but I would not be surprised if she came out to talk about this. I actually think this play is quite influenced by Peter Pan. Uh, there's hmm. a, first of all, there's a mention of the moms being like grown up Wendy's, right? But then they're like the this troupe of dancers is very much to me reminiscent of like the Lost Boys and this this sort of 
inner uh, reality that is kids of this age. And then Claire Barron says, well, what if it's not lost boys? What if it's lost girls? And what if I took the never grow up reality and I said their bodies grew up, but these actors with grown up bodies are still the lost girls, hmm. uh, you know, doing this 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 dance nation show, and 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 there's there's flying and there's these supernatural elements that are all, of course, in what Peter Pan is, just a way of talking about childhood and the transition into adulthood. Hmm, that's fascinating. <laughs> so cool. Yeah, the the yeah the the sort of um, and again, like you have the. The kind of uh, roles of the parents floating in as yes, like kind yes. of like like dance like, teacher like, Pat is like a Captain Hook. I don't know. If yeah, that's yeah, right. sure, <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's a fascinating. I'd be I'd be really interested, and that would be a great way to like kind of worm into the roles of these characters. You know, a great kind of grounding uh, grounding uh, struggle, right? All all that moment of never wanting to grow up, and yet we do somehow. And and not only just grow up, but we're we're buffeted by everything that that means. Well, it's um, interesting because she one significant change from the Peter Pan story, beyond all the other very significant changes, <laughs> is that in this case the girls do want to grow up. I mean, these are not like the Lost Boys marching through the forest with Peter Pan chanting, "We'll never grow up." They have these dreams and plans for their life. And some of them we just know as the audience are not going to be how their life works out. And there's a grief in that too. And there's also a kind of a nostalgic chuckle that you look back and say like, I kind of thought I was going to be a, a fireman and I would be a terrible fireman. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's there's just so much in this play that we could continue to talk about. As Jacob said at the beginning, we could have spent like at least the 45, if not the full hour, just talking about uh, the, the 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 novelty of having uh, older age actors in the roles. There's so much more in this play that we'd love to keep talking about. Alas, we are out of time on the podcast itself, but we'd love to keep talking about this play with all of you out there in podcast land. Um, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at the username at NoScriptPodcast. We also have a Gmail, NoScriptPodcast at gmail.com find us on any of those sites we'd love to keep talking about dance nation with all of you absolutely if you liked this episode or any of our other episodes please recommend the podcast to your family and friends we're in the usual places podbean apple podcast google play spotify and we are also now on youtube where you can find new episodes and we will be working through at our own pace uploading the backlog <laughs> of no script episodes to youtube as well until next week, when we're talking about another great script, I'm Jacob Mann Christensen. And I am Jackson Nikolai. Thank you for listening to No Script to the Podcast. Bye-bye.